It's tragic, really. We all have a story. A dark secret wrapped in emptiness and regret. You know. The Toll. I'm Nancy Simpson. Previously on The Toll. When you look into the eyes of a killer, you'll never ever forget it. And they replied with, okay, you tell us where and we'll go kick the door in. He forced her to actually help him load the body of Renee Williams in a vehicle. And she goes, I don't know how to describe it. He's just been really creepy. He just kind of got a cold look and doesn't talk at all. And she goes, it's just creepy. And they tracked her, sent into the barn. The lady said it didn't leave from there. Douglas County Sheriff Chris DeGay says as he went through the old case files and Renee's disappearance, there was little doubt Chris Revac was the guy. Renee's blood was found on Revac's pants and vehicle two years prior when Renee first went missing, and blood on the sidewalk outside the Eagles Lodge found the next morning when Renee didn't come home. In the TV show from the ID channel, they interviewed a deputy who worked the original case in 07. He says they were able to rule out a robbery pretty quickly. A bar customer called in a tip talking about a man behaving oddly that night and mentioning Chris Revac by name. The deputy told the TV producers he knew Johanna, Chris's wife, but had never met Chris. He goes to their house and shows Revac a flyer concerning Renee's disappearance. Chris Revac stared at it. The deputy notices Revac has an injured finger. But ultimately, no body, no charges. That was the stance from the previous sheriff. The new sheriff, DeGase, who inherited the case and vowed to solve it, says besides the blood evidence at the time, a year before Renee went missing, there was another incident at the Eagles Lodge in Ava. Um, basically, uh, he waited uh, for a bartender. There was actually a male patron that stayed in the bar uh, that night, uh, I say attempted abduction. There's no doubt that's what his intent was, but it, it kind of got it turned into an argument and became physical there. And the and the male patron there in the bar had to, uh, you know, calm him down and basically tell him he had to leave. Uh, but it was one of those situations where he had left and then came back shortly thereafter. Came in and basically tried to um, think that he was propositioning for sex, and then when he was rejected, became angry. So I think that there's no doubt had that other patron not been in the bar, that probably would have been a victim as well. Leading a double life, is that what he was doing in this community? Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of people that met him thought he was very nice. He was very kind. Um, he was soft-spoken. But as we did the investigation, it was very obvious. He had a completely different side. Uh, when you went back to and spoke with really any women that had any involvement with him at all in a romantic situation, you know, the temper, the violence, the domestic abuse was very prevalent. Shawnee, Renee's sister, says after searching for days, she had to go back home to Oregon. I stayed for a week, and then I had to come home. It was horrible. That was the worst trip I ever took, and I, I knew it was going to be. I just thought for sure we would have found her by now. But Shawnee says she knew that meant finding Renee's remains not finding her alive. No, I already knew. I already knew Renee wasn't alive. Oh. She would not have left her kids. And I know my sister. It took like three guys to hold her down to spank her for her birthday. <laughs> she wouldn't have let anybody take her. And I, we found out later that's exactly what happened. When he came up behind her, she, she bit the tip of his finger off and he choked her to death. <laughs> He didn't mean to kill her at that time. 
it, but she was fighting him too hard. <laughs> That's all I know. I actually, I didn't know it until I, read, I watched the documentary and talked to the sheriff right after that. But I knew what a fighter she was. She wouldn't have let anybody take her. There's no way. Shawnee says she had never heard the name Christopher Revac before his arrest, but believes she had a big clue that she now knows was significant. When I was out in Missouri that first week after she disappeared, I kept hearing people talk about a man at the end of the bar wearing a Taney County EMT hat. Chris Revac was placed on watch as he sat in the Douglas County jail cell. Just hours later, answers would be gone forever. There's a light that is bolted to the wall in there. What he did is he tied a very small knot in, the, in his jumpsuit, and he wedged the jumpsuit in between a crack on the light fixture in the wall. Then he just knelt down. I mean, it wasn't a complete hanging. It was basically he knelt down until he passed out, and then, uh, you know, finally he expired. So, um, you know, unfortunately, he took the answers with him. Uh, yep. Chris Revac killed himself. Shawnee, Renee's sister, says she learned about all of it at the same time. That's when my brother was in jail on a probation violation, I believe, and one of the guards had told him that there had been an arrest. And he called me, and I called the sheriff, and the sheriff, (laughs) here's the weird part, he spent like 15 minutes on the phone with me, and it wasn't until the very end of the conversation that he told me Christopher Riak hung himself. Oh, that's how you found out that part. That's how I found out he hung himself, because all that, you know, when my brother called until I called him, and the entire conversation, I was thinking they had this guy in prison, or, you know, in jail, they were holding him. The last thing he said to me was, unfortunately, he hung himself. I asked Kevin Tweedy, Revac's former boss at the ambulance district, how he felt upon learning that Revac had committed suicide. I don't know. I kind of had mixed feelings about it. First, I'm like, uh, maybe that's better for everybody that he ended up doing it. I hated to see him do that because I think there needed to be closure on a lot of things. But I go back and think he obviously had some demons that he was wrestling with. And uh, I don't know. I, I really wish we would have figured out if he committed those other ones, if he would have confessed to do all that. But I don't think he had any intent in doing that. And I think he just... Took the easy way out. Yeah, no exactly. So he had no reason to, to no, want to no. give these families no. any closure. I, I, no, I don't think that bothered him, really. Uh, I don't think he wanted to, and I, part of me thinks that's the reason he did it, so he wouldn't have to. He wouldn't ever give it up. So it's another way of just kind of sticking it to him a little bit more. So if you'll remember, Chris Revac's wife, Johanna, tells Sheriff DeGase she didn't feel safe telling her story to the previous sheriff, but tells DeGase she knew Chris had killed Renee Williams. He forced her to help him move the body he had hidden behind their house. In the ID Channel's interview, Sheriff DeGase says this, She saw Revac drag a body out of the brush and forced his wife to load the body into a vehicle. They went on a dark paved road that turns to dirt. He, Revac, went into the woods with a shovel and pick and buried the remains. Remember, this property is more than an hour from their home in Ava. DeGase talks about life after that exhaustive search. As a team, we were there about two weeks uh, searching that property. We had numerous cadaver dogs over it, but over the years, I've been back a lot. You have? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just to see. Just to see. Just to see if there's something I miss. You know, uh, go take a walk, walk through there, you know, look at properties that are close to it that we may not have had on our radar. 
and just to see. And uh, I think that when he went back, I think that he probably made sure that we would not be able to find her remains. How do you make that call to call up the search? Did you make that call? Yeah. You know, I mean, we're, we were dealing with a very specific area. And really, when you're doing that, I mean, you're, this was an old farm. I mean, we were absolutely destroying this place. I mean, we were digging big holes and filling them back in. And, you know, barns, there were barns there with soft floors in them. And I dug for days with shovels because we couldn't get equipment in there just to try to get in and, and, and do that. And, you know, it's tough. It is. But, you know, when you've got other people around, other agencies working with you, other officers working with you, and, hey, we've exhausted our efforts here. You know, you basically just have to kind of resolve to the fact that it's time to, to step away from it. And, and I have. And like I said, I've been back numerous times and, and to, just to walk around and look and, and see see if there's something I missed. And um, I don't know. Hopefully one of these days we'll, we'll find something that we will be able to give uh, Mr. Brooke and, and Renee's children a little bit more closure. At Revac's house after the arrest, the sheriff says more proof Revac was the one. Anything else that you found when you scoured his property did the search? The only thing that we found of evidentiary value there was the change. I mean, there was a lot of change. Because she had a tip jar. Renee had a tip jar at the bar where people would put their tips. And it had a lot of change. And he actually ran his French drains for whatever reason. Outside? Outside, Drain. correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Like the French drains around your house that keep the water from getting close to your house. He dug it, dug it up and he spread the change all around his house. So I don't know if it was kind of a... a to serve as a memory or or what but you know that's not uncommon uncommon in these cases you know when you deal with with uh, people like this and and obviously we have no evidence to prove in either the Deidre Harm case or Renee William case that it was sexually driven but uh, from the information that we have you know he definitely does fit the part of the criteria at least for a sexual type sadist Um, you know these were in my opinion these were sexually driven crimes but the sheriff says he fully believes now that Revac went back and moved the body. Not being able to recover the body, that sucks. Oh, it's, it's, it drives me crazy. It haunts me, honestly. Um, you know, I think that when I made that phone call, that he knew that I was, that I had him, or suspected that I had him. And according to Johanna, he was told, he left one day and told her that he was going to go move the body of Renee and he would get rid of her body for good. Never told her where it was at. Never told her where it went. And you think he did that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, in this, this, this type of work, there comes a point where you have to play your trump card, you know. And, and is it a perfect situation? No, it's not. Uh, there's no doubt that, that we have, hopefully, have some closure for the family as far as the person that, that committed this crime is no longer out there to do it again, not only for Renee, but for also for Deidre. And Deidre, they had they found remains there. They were able to, to lay her to rest properly. And, and it drives me crazy that, that I haven't been able to find uh, Renee. Where Shawnee, Renee's sister, has lived her life, Oregon and Washington, they're in the top five states with the most people who go missing. And she knew how this story would likely end. There's a lot of women go missing that are never found. A lot of people, not just women, but... Yeah. When we didn't find her right away, I figured it maybe someday down the road, somebody will stumble across some bones. But at this point, I doubt that'll even happen. What's that like, knowing that her remains will likely never be found? It's crappy. (laughs) I just try not to think about it too much. 
at this, you know, even if they found her remains, it's not going to change anything. And I knew that from the beginning. That's what I've told myself all these years. Sheriff DeGay says Chris Revac did not confess any other murders to his wife, Johanna. But the Deidre Harm case did spark some weird memories with her when the sheriff asked about it. Once I started speaking to her about the Deidre Harms later on, she um, there were things that happened during that vacation because she was at the family vacation. It was a family vacation in Wisconsin Rapids. There were things that, that happened that night that I could see was um, the wheels turning. You know, I think it started coming to realization for her. That this wasn't the only one. That's correct. You know, and also in this case here, you know, I, mean, I think Johanna is very lucky to be alive. And um, he did have another uh, paramour in the Branson area. We were able to get uh, cell phone records and things of that nature. And I really believe that Johanna was fixing to be his next victim. But Kevin Tweedy, their former ambulance boss, says all of her work family rallied around her after the arrest. I think everybody really felt sorry for her because they really felt that he was more manipulative than we ever thought. We always thought she, like I said, she was the tough one. But um, I think as more and more came out about what was going on and, you know, that she was probably more the victim in this, people she worked with, I think, felt pretty compassionate about it, even when they knew that maybe she helped with the body, there wasn't any reading in that, that uh, they thought she was standing over him, you know, helping him do all this stuff right off the bat. So I, it was it was kind of weird. I, most of her partners and, and uh, the ladies that worked with her were a little more compassionate about with her. And when we suspended her, we got a little pushback from some of the staff. They thought maybe we shouldn't. And her partners thought, you know, she needs to be working and she needs to be doing something. That Had they talked about a change in her? After he was arrested, she took some time off, but then she came back to work for a little bit. And then we put her on suspension right after that. She didn't work, but maybe, a, if I remember right, a couple of days. But she was just really emotional. That was the other part of it. She just didn't seem rational and competent to work. So we just didn't feel it was a good thing at that, that point. Before that, I no, she, uh, you know, she never come in like sobbing and crying and doing all this stuff. She was a pretty strong girl. Uh, we didn't really notice, at least I didn't. I never heard anything about from her partners that they thought there was something going on. She seemed to manage it as well as she could at that time. Because, yeah, I, I mean, Renee would have been murdered in 07 and then 09 is when the sheriff took office and mm -hmm. started revisiting it. So that would have been two, yeah, two years, years of her having that in yeah. her mind and him threatening her if that's how this played out. Right. I'm going to kill you and your family if you ever say anything. Yeah, yeah. Most normal people, that would take a toll. Yeah, it would, it would. Mm -hmm. I just don't remember noticing anything. I remember talking to, you know, when we were interviewed by the sheriff too, he, he talked to ask about her and it just nothing was just like, not saying she wasn't abused, but it wasn't like she would come to work and, and you had a feeling like she was in trouble or that something was happening. They seemed to just fit. You know, they seemed like a fairly decent couple, just it meshed. So uh, just didn't notice anything different about them. Kevin says when Chris was arrested, Johanna was encouraged to take some leave. But then when some other allegations came about that she had been involved at, on someone, we dismissed her, which really upset her. There was some pushback from some others. 
at the time they said you know she was forced to do all this stuff but at that time we could justify having her there with everything going on and um I don't know if he forced her or didn't force her. I mean, that wasn't our decision and stuff. So we just really relied on the sheriff up there to kind of uh, guide us on what he thought was best for us as an employer and for her as much as, the, you know, the public. Shawnee, Renee's sister, mm, Johanna is a sore subject, among other aspects of this case. But it could have been solved. <laughs> I, I know they had him and they interviewed him. Here's the thing. I didn't find out until the documentary came out that the guy's wife is who they talked to and, and finally told what happened. She's a 911 dispatcher. She sat there every day knowing what, what happened to my sister, listening to all the chatter, and lived in that same town and was still able to just go to sleep at night. She has never served a day in jail. Last I checked, she was a nurse in Michigan. That's one of the things that frustrates me the most is another woman who's supposedly a mother could let, you know, this woman, her children, her spouse, her whole family just sit there and suffer when she knew. And she can say what she wants, that she was afraid of, that he was going to kill her or whatever. She knew where to go. She knew she could go to the higher ups and have him put away. Other than that, the sheriff, you know, he, he mishandled it from the beginning too. Mike said, I, I believe that's because he knew him and worked with him. The good old boy found her clothes at his house with blood on him, and that should have been enough to tie him without a body. That should have been enough to keep him in jail. Yeah, they had quite a bit of evidence they found at his house. Mm-hmm. I think if they would have, if it would have been a decent sheriff in office, it, it would have been solved. They would have found her. She'd be in a cemetery. Her kids would have somewhere to go. But there's just a lot of a lot of directions to point fingers, and none of it's going to bring her back, but it would help. I later called Sheriff DeGaze to ask him about this, zone in on it, just this specifically. He says Johanna didn't have faith in the previous sheriff to keep her safe. The goal was to get her away from Revac for questioning so he wouldn't know. But that's not how it worked out the day the sheriff called the house and Chris Revac was there. Revac was supposed to be at work. Sheriff DeGay says it's one of his biggest regrets. I'm probably my worst critic, and I always look back at cases, and even when they have great, perfect outcomes, I look back and I think, what could I do different? And, you know, I, I kind of kick myself a little bit about that phone call. Even though I'd done the background to find out that he was supposed to be working that day, I probably should have called to see if he was at work that day, but then you run into a situation to where it's like, well, if I'm calling down there, they're going to tip him off, you know, that I'm calling. So um, it's frustrating. It's it's part of me. I'm, I'm a competitive person, and and uh, I work on this one just like I do in numerous other cases that we have that, for lack of better words, haunt me. And uh, you and I still will. We'll, we'll. We follow up on leads. We've gone and checked places where they said, hey, I think that this is where she's at, and we'll continue to do that. Um, you learn from it. You know, I, I go back and I look at it, I critique myself, and there's things that definitely I would do different. I don't think there was anything that was absolutely on my part that was detrimental to the case. Um, you know, we have to be careful in our line of work, particularly involving some outside agencies that may not always follow our procedures and follow our chain of command. And, you know, things got said in this case early on that kind of hurt it, and and it wasn't from our agency. So, um, 
kind of hurt a little bit when we first got him into custody. And because I really think had I was been able to uh, do the line of questioning that I wanted, then we could have potentially had a different outcome. Christopher Revac's wife. This is a sticking point I found in the case. Johanna, how much did she really know beyond Renee about the murders? The sheriff says she didn't. How do you help move a body, a person your husband murdered, and go about your life for nearly two years? Working in the medical field, did that help her compartmentalize it? And then there's the other side. Johanna didn't have to say a word. She could have told Sheriff DeGase that her husband had been acting weird, she'd been leery and scared of him for a while, but didn't know anything for sure. Remember, as soon as Revac was taken into custody, he committed suicide by hanging himself in the jail cell. What Johanna offered was a piece of property where she knew Revac had taken Renee's body and buried it, giving the family a chance for a real funeral. An answer. But then again, the sheriff is sure after the botched phone call to their house that Revac moved the body after he felt the investigation was about to break open. And she knew that part, too. Another regret about this case from Sheriff DeGase, that he didn't personally arrest Chris Revac. He believes he could have changed the outcome and provided more families with more answers. I really wanted to approach him with the Deidre Harm situation before I did the Renee Williams, but there were some things that occurred. There was some contact uh, at the time he was arrested by an officer from an outside agency that let some information out that he didn't need to let out, um, which kind of hurt me a little bit there. So I was really wanting to, to talk to him about Deidre Harm and make him think that that's what I was wanting to talk to him about because... Um, I think that he would have opened up and been a lot more willing to speak. And I think once I got him talking, then I think I would have been in a lot better position to get the information about Renee out. But once once the, the officer from the other agency um, basically went against my directives at the time he was arrested and said, hey, you're under arrest for the murder of Renee Williams, it wasn't true. You know, we hadn't had a warrant. He was a person of interest. Uh, but once he said that, it kind of um, kind of put things in a different direction. Sheriff DeGay says creepy stories about Chris Revac still pop up from time to time. Uh, as this played out, a small town community, there were stories where he spoke of, uh, where we'd have people that would come forward and say, hey, you know, I talked to this guy this one time. He showed up at my house and he asked some weird questions, but, you know, I didn't think he was going to leave. But when I really pushed the issue, he left. Or when he seen my husband, he left. We had at least a couple of different accounts of that, that, that uh, you know, where he went to, to other females' uh, residences. Um, I still get him. I get him. I get him to this day. Somebody will say, hey, you know, I dated that Revac guy and, and he was weird. He was, you know, uh, he was obsessed. Uh, so, yeah, there was there was definitely a lot of stories on the backside. Sheriff DeGase says none of this surprises him. DeGase has experience with these kinds of killers. But you believe he was a serial killer? Absolutely. There's no, there, there's, there's no doubt. I mean... You know, I've had the opportunity to um, to work in a lot of different situations. I've worked several murders. Um, I worked a case in New Mexico revolving a, a sexual sadist who was responsible for close to 100 women's death. And, you know, it's just been my experience that these crimes that are sexually driven, as this one here, they don't just start and stop. Sheriff DeGase is talking about the toy box killer in New Mexico that broke in 1999. He was on that case. David Parker Ray, who worked as a maintenance man, worked on their cop cars. Someone Sheriff DeGase knew. This was a serial killer who had a trailer he used to torture and murder women. The stuff nightmares are made of. 
There's a saying in law enforcement, you very rarely see a rehabilitated sex offender. Somebody can, somebody can be a murderer and never kill again, but most generally they cannot be a sexual predator and not reoffend. The Ozarks sheriff says he's positive he also saw evil in Chris Revac. His eyes, you look in his eyes. You know, I mean, you, if you go back and you look at the composite drawing and then you look at my, you look at the booking photos and you look at his eyes, his eyes. Um, he has, uh, I don't know how to explain it, I've done this for 20, uh, I've been in law enforcement 25, 26 years, and when you look into the eyes of a killer, you'll never ever forget it. And you look into his eyes, and, and it, it's cold. But you didn't get to have that one-on-one conversation with him? We didn't. We didn't have that one-on-one conversation, but we had that, that moment standing in my jail cell back there just prior to him asking for an attorney where we were looking into one another's eyes. And you knew then? Absolutely. Months after the arrest, suicide, and crazy story that went with it, Kevin Tweedy, Revac's former boss, says people kept asking, how'd you not know you were employing a serial killer? Why we didn't know it. I think the biggest thing over that, that year afterwards, how did you not know he was, wasn't he weird? Wasn't he, you know, didn't he do this? Didn't, and I'm like, no, he didn't. He was, he was uh, just kind of one of those guys like you see on TV. It just, you never, you had no idea this guy could be a serial killer or, you know, doing that type of stuff. You, you wouldn't have known it. If you look back through history and, and some of the other serial killers, you know, a lot of them are like that. You had no idea. People go, I live right beside him. Had no idea. You know, but some of those had red flags and out in the middle of the night with a light digging a hole. But he, he didn't, you know, he didn't do that. And he didn't come from our area. So he was an outsider coming in, but, you know, he met the qualifications. And it was, in that time period, it was hard to find EMTs. Now EMTs seem to be a dime a dozen. I mean, there's so many people that have their EMT license. And it's medics that's hard to get. But back then, EMTs and medics were really hard to come across. So if you come across somebody that did a good job and, and was good, then, you know, you hired them. It didn't matter if they were from here or not. I grew up in Ava, and when he bought a farm up in Ava, you know, I'd talk to him and her about where they lived. It wasn't anywhere where I grew up. You were familiar and able to have those conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But see, even in those conversations, I didn't think anything of it. They bought a little house and had some acreage, and, you know, it wasn't odd that they would drive it wasn't that far uh, back and forth to work because I had other people that drove from other counties to come to work, so that wasn't odd. Kevin wishes the family in Wisconsin could get that definite answer. Kind of glad you're digging a little bit more, so I, I wish they'd get closure for those families up there. I would hope again that maybe DNA someday will, you know, they have Chris's DNA, so uh, you would think there would be some DNA up there, but never know. He also gives the current sheriff, DeGase, credit for digging his heels in and working to get Revac off the streets. Lucky I had a sheriff over there that really wanted to get into it and dig some more. Being that part of the country, you know, smaller law enforcement agencies sometimes, those take back seats to a lot of things. They don't have the manpower, so it was impressive that he could do what he did. Probably save some other ladies. Like she said, it could have been his wife next time. But, you know, I think that would have been a little harder for him because she worked with us and people knew her and they did talk to her off and on uh, when she was off work. I think there was a couple ladies that they talked back and forth. So it might have been a little more difficult for him than a random person that uh, you know nobody else knew. Sheriff DeGay says he wishes the outcome could be different. 
we have a lot of work that goes into it. Or you, you know, you, you dump your heart, you dump your soul into trying to, uh, to solve these. And sometimes you do. And, and unfortunately, there's times that we don't. And it's, you know, very frustrating. And, you, and they talk about, you know, the career of law enforcement. And they think, well, you, you look at a law enforcement officer and the things that we go through in this day and age. And it's not just the fighting and the, and the dealing with those type of people that, that wear on you. Cases like this wear on you, you know, to where it's like, you know, um, we have a lot of people that leave for things just, just exactly like this. They can't deal with the fact that we weren't able to solve that. We weren't able to give them closure. That family's hurting and we're not able to, to do anything for them. You know, I still catch some some flack over this case, you know, that says, hey, you said you were going to solve this when you came in. Hey, I did. You know, I, I just haven't found Renee. We got the person off the streets. I just haven't found Renee. Absolutely. No doubt in your mind. No doubt. No doubt in my mind that we have the right guy. There's no doubt in my mind that he... Is responsible for the death of Dieter Harm. And there's no doubt in my mind that he's probably responsible for additional deaths out there. Dieter Harm's mother had contacted Sheriff DeGase, and by chance he was going to Wisconsin on business as he works on building a new and more secure jail. The two were supposed to meet up, but it didn't pan out. She reached out shortly after we did a show with Investigation Discovery, and she reached out through the producers and stated she'd like to speak with me about um, the fact that you know, she appreciated the work and the fact that, that I reached out and, and started searching other avenues because, you know, it's brought some closure to her as well. But unfortunately, the weather didn't cooperate with us up there. The day that we were going to meet, snow ended up coming in. It got pretty nasty quick. She said she just wanted to meet me, and uh, she obviously probably has some questions about the case, and, and this may help her answer some of them, this interview with you. So, um, you know, if she listens to this, there's hopefully we've answered some of the questions that she needed answered. But I was really looking forward to meeting her, and I think that uh, uh, it would help give her some more closure. Like so many families desperate for answers, Shawnee, Renee's sister, entertains the idea of a psychic. I had a medium contact me, and she says that she's out of Wisconsin, and she said that she's trying to work with um, the sheriff now, the case. She's apparently solved some other crimes. She tried to get a hold of me for a while, and I wouldn't have anything to do with her because she told me that she was channeling Christopher. <laughs> and I, I really didn't want to hear anything he had to say. But she finally talked to me, and apparently he said he told her something about a white farmhouse, which is where my sister and Tim were living at the time, and that um, what if I put the bitch in her own backyard? So... I told her, you know, she said that she'd already talked to the sheriff and that she was supposed to be making a trip out there and they were going to go do some searching around, but I haven't heard anything else. Which leads me to ask her this. Does she, does she see you? Do you visit with her? Well, how does that look now? <laughs> no. I dreamed about her twice. <sighs> but I think I'm holding a lot of stuff back, so... Maybe when I learn to deal with it a little better, she'll be able to get through. Even 13 years later, are you are you more sad or more mad? Both. It varies. Some days I'll be more sad. Some days I'll be more mad. I mean, I talk to her every day. One day she'll answer back. So how many women did Christopher Revac kill? How many families will never get answers? Did Christopher Revac take all of the clues to his grave? If you know anything about Christopher Revac's movements across the country and have any clues to offer investigators, you're urged to call Crime Stoppers USA at 1-800-222-TIPS. You can remain anonymous.
We have the composite sketch and other photos up. You can find those at thetollpodcast.com. The Toll Podcast, Unsettled, is a production of The Toll LLC, co-creator and host, Nancy Simpson, co-creator and executive producer, Jay Lashley, technical producer and audio editor, Kat Morgan Gaines, marketing manager, Pamela Shelby, web design and digital creative director, Shelby Powers. Original music by Jay Lashley. Reproduction or use of any part of this broadcast without the expressed written permission of the Toll LLC is prohibited. You can see pictures related to Unsettled at thetollpodcast.com. If you enjoy the toll, subscribe, rate, and share.